0: There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk
1: Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey.
2: It must have been the best kept secret in 25 years. Did when you I hear I, the BBC I'm guy able, going? You want to hear this guy? The oh two people goodness. in the sky. They were laughing. <laughs> they went, oh, and here is the here is a Range Rover driving, and the door is opening, and who is getting out? Oh my! It's David Cameron. It was great to see what the headline was in one of the nationals was Suella binned, Dave recycled. (laughs) With Workflow Solutions. Good morning, Thomas. Morning, Willie. Morning. Oh, it's been a big week. Plenty to
3: talk about this week. Plenty to talk about. On the business front, we'll try and stay away from politics. It's going to be hard, Willie, but well, we'll try and stay away. But anyway, the budget, Willie, what did you think? What did you think? Well... The autumn statement. Yes, um, I'm calling it a budget. Okay, well, the autumn statement. You are statement, technically correct. Yeah,
2: the autumn statement. I'm going to um, rebrand as the election campaign starts here. <laughs> 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 there's
3: an election coming up. Well,
2: uh, well you this. certainly think so after the the budget. But uh, no, uh, there's a few things in, in in this in the statement that are that are obviously good for business. Being able to expense twenty five percent tax back on you know any capital spending in relation to manufacturing and machine has got to be a good thing. Yes, it's indeed. interesting that they said that that would be forever. So and I see today that somebody for the CBI is saying, well, I hope the next government carries that on if there is one. <laughs> okay, right. right. But but the one thing that they were trying to take all the credit for that the people you know really need to realise that they. The the lift in the minimum wage for I think for just over two million people, that yep. sounds great and it sounds great coming for a Chancellor. But that burden is not on the government. It's on small business. You know, that anybody think that that was a great thing done by the government, um it was not. That was a tax on small businesses and, and big businesses. It's great, it's great that they're living you know, we're lifting the living wage, but don't as a chancellor try and stand up there and take the credit for it?
3: Yeah, I know for the people who get the wage um, increase, and it's going to about £11.44 for somebody over 23, which on the face of it has got to be a good thing, Willie, but it's mainly small businesses, as you say, who employ these folks. And the one thing you've got to ask if you're running a small business is, can I afford to pay somebody that or am I going to have to cut back? So it's never easy, Willie. Yeah. It's never straightforward. For those getting it well done, for those having to pay it, my goodness, yeah. you're going to have to dig, dig deep and look. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, who ends up paying? It's got to be customers because, you know, governments don't have any money. We talk about it every week. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, double-edged sword, that one, Willie.
2: Yeah, and I think the, the NI reduction is is a good thing. Right. Um, yeah. and and I said the way back in the, the time when, when Gordon Brown surprised everyone by increasing the NI, I was on a panel the following morning for the Herald and um I actually said, Well, you've probably got the wrong on guy on this morning because I don't think this is a good thing. Yeah, um, I said, I don't mind an increase in corporation tax because you're paying it because you've made money you yep. could actually be losing money, and now you've got an increase in NI. So I would welcome the reduction for the employees on NI of that two pence. That's, that's also yeah. good news.
3: So if if an employee's earning about fifty thousand, um, they're going to save about six hundred pounds a year, Willie. And they've also decreased it for self-employed. So if you're a self-employed person earning about thirty grand a year. You're going to save about three hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. So you know that's got to be that's got to be welcome. But you know this is where <laughs> Chancellors play with a bit of sleight of hand because he has frozen where income tax comes in. He's frozen those bands, Willie. So that really is an income tax increase for everybody. Yeah. So. He takes it with one hand <laughs> and he gives it back with another hand. But I think a really important point for Scottish businesses here is on business rates. The Chancellor has said for the rest of the UK, he is freezing the multiplier on small business rates and he's keeping the 75% relief for hospitality venues, retail venues and leisure venues but this is a devolved matter yep. for Scotland. And the so Scottish government stopped it um, a few months ago. It's a bit complicated, but it's the, the thing that you know well, the that consequentials. So yep. Scottish government's going to get an extra about £281 million pounds because of this, but it's up to them what they do with it. And I would just say in next month's Scottish budget, or it might be a Scottish Um, Statement. I'm not quite sure what it's called, Willie. Um, You'll correct me. And I would say, Scottish Government, you've got to help small businesses. You've got to go with what Westminster's doing.
2: Take the politics out of it and help our small businesses. Well, I think it's a really good point that you make about what's devolved. I was horrified to read this week that the Scottish Government of underinvested £94 million. It was earmarked for apprenticeships. For apprenticeships, for well, apprenticeships. Right. I, I missed it. Right, missed so it. when people think, oh, it's a business programme, no, we're getting too political. It's not, this is a straight business chat that we're having here. I mean, how that could kind have of went to help small businesses you know, would have been huge. So I'd love to ask someone why that was the case. If there was an, a straight allocation for apprenticeships, then why was why was there an underspend of ninety-four million? I love I love how we answer to that one. Right. If
3: anybody's listening from Scottish Government this morning, yeah. just phone in and we'll put you straight through to the studio.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but the, po- the point the the big point you were making there is, is that it'll be interesting to see because some of as you say, some of the things that are in the autumn statement that are devolved to Scotland, some of them will be interesting, especially the one you've just highlighted in relation to hospitality. So it will be interesting to see how the Scottish government reacts to the autumn statement. Yeah.
3: So um, I was interested to see as well that um, the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, and said that they're going to sell the 38.7% stake in RBS NatWest, obviously head- headquartered in um, Scotland through Ngogorburn. I don't think this has got ramifications for jobs, Willie, and I think it's probably a good thing that the government... Is out of an ownership here because it's you know it's a good business. It creates good jobs in Scotland, and um, I I wouldn't like to see any more government interference here. Have if, if you got any thoughts on that one,
2: Willie? No, I think the more you know, the they get their money back for the money. This was our money. That they invested to be fair in order to yeah. save the bank right um, so for me the, the the quicker they can recoup that cash the better especially when you think Tom and I read this week and I had to read it twice right that the government borrowing for this year up to the end of October with 93 billion okay I said a big sum right so you can take it by the end of the year it'll be 100 okay yeah that now means that the combined debt of the UK is just under $2.4 trillion. Wow. Right? So here's my question to you. See, if that was a business, <laughs> when do you get called in by the bank? <laughs> I, th- I think if you and I had borrowed that amount, Willie, we'd be up, up in front of the bank manager saying, <laughs> when we get our money back? <laughs> it's a serious question. When do you get, the position when that your debt is so bad that you lose your AAA status or your AA status you know, credit creditworthiness or eight. I mean you know I'd like somebody. what is the number <laughs> you know, when do we when do we get the alarm bells when we need to turn the economy around that we're running at a, that we're running at a surplus and not a deficit so I
3: mean this is this is why well, like people complain about the tax burden and the tax burden Across the UK is going to be high for some years to come, but this is because we're paying for the pandemic, we're paying for furlough, we're p- paying for the small business loans that were given out. There's quite a lot of fraud in there as well, Willie, as you and I know. We're paying for printing money. We are we are paying for all of this because you know once again the the government takes our money and decides how to spend it. They don't have any money. They don't create any money, and. People just need to understand there's, there is nothing for nothing here. We pay for these things. The taxpayer pays for it all. And um, the, the government can borrow money, and my God, those numbers are eye-watering. But at some point, at some point, and it's probably our grandchildren's grandchildren,
2: they might start paying it back. So in the back of all that, Tom, and just to, you know, to, to summarise what you're saying, so the, the worrying thing... Of all the news this week, no matter which way we want to try and gloss up the autumn statement, the OBR are telling us that growth is minimal, if at all. And that should be the thing that... Two things. We've got the highest tax burden since 1948, right? We will, according to the OBR, most families will be worse off by 2025 by £2,000 a year with um, disposable income, and growth is running at its lowest for a long, long time. These are the things that, are, that should give people concerned. How do we start to grow the economy much, much quicker than the, than the numbers that we're seeing at the moment?
3: That's exactly the question, Willie. And I think it being a election year in Westminster, next year they, they have, by law to, to call it, but the Tories can call it um, a time to suit them. I think they would like to call it in about another 10 years. But anyway, yeah. they have got to call it next year. And I think we're going to see some other giveaways, call it what you will, bribes to the electric. I, I don't think the electric are that stupid. Yeah. But I come back to my central point, and I know it's not a politics show, but the UK government and the Scottish government tax us, and they decide how to spend it. We are paying for the pandemic. That's why the tax rate is so high. But government spending on things like HS2, on ferries, on failed deposit return schemes, the government is wasting our taxpayers' money. And I think it's time to stop and actually ask Your politician, right? How are you spending my money? We need to stand up for this,
2: Willie. Yeah. It's funny. So, nice wee segment there. uh, You mentioned HS2. I see that some of the people in charge of HS2 um, have put it out this week that not enough Scottish companies have been winning contracts. Right. So, I believe in the billions that have been spent already, that only 137 million. Has been awarded to Scottish companies, so um, it's interesting. that They're telling us to start, you know, uh, looking for a tender now. What a time when they're talking about season, I mean, <laughs> the, the, it the it development. It doesn't does it make, make any sense. Any sense. Does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. And uh, I don't know much about this,
3: but I, I I did read in the paper about Grangemouth and. Grangemouth, Willie, it supplies eighty percent of Scottish fuel. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a joint venture between Ineos, which is Jim Ratcliffe, the guy who's trying to buy Man United. We might yeah. we might do a wee segment on the business of football sometime, Willie, because yes. you know a lot about that. Yeah. So it's a joint venture between Jim Ratcliffe's Ineos and PetroChina. And they're gonna close the oil refinery because it's just not competitive anymore. It's not going to close completely. It's going to be a fuel import and distribution business, but there's about 400 jobs at risk. Do you think, in their decision making, the kind of anti hydrocarbons of Patrick Harvey and Co. has has
2: put that in Jim Ratcliffe's mind, Willie? Well, it's interesting. And I think, yes, to answer the question, I think, yes. That is a bit of the thinking behind it and it helped make the decision. But also it was interesting to see that there was, you know, agreement again. MSP um, jumping up and down at the thought that Scotland's only oil refinery was closing. So it kind of goes against what Patrick Harvey's shouting about. But I've got no doubt that, yes, that that was part of it. But I hope that whatever, you know, when people keep talking about transition, you know, and I was saying this article this morning, you know, ask the steel workers, ask the miners how that went. But I hope that whatever the the new development and and the new ideas for how they want to run me will, will mean that there'll be many many jobs created, and I hope that you know that there's a there's a balance and and opportunities for the 400 people there maybe to retrain and, and continue to be working there.
3: Well, let's let's hope so, Willie. So there's there's been another circus in Silicon Valley. Wow, Willie, this Open AI. Yeah. And the founder there, a guy called Sam Altman, who's been the kind of poster boy for responsible, yeah. <laughs> responsible AI. So just, just for the listeners to try and recap, I'll just give you a wee seven days recap. So seven days ago, the board of OpenAI, and it's a, it's a different board structure in America, and when... OpenAI was set up, it was a non-profit board sat on top of a commercial organization, so it was quite interesting. But they decided to sack Sam Altman, no reason given. Microsoft stepped in, they've committed about $13 billion to OpenAI. They said they'll hire him. And then they were going to set up a new AI division within Microsoft and take all the OpenAI staff. (laughs) Quite an interesting um, manoeuvre there by the chief exec of Microsoft. And then 770 of the staff at OpenAI signed a petition saying, sack the board, bring back Sam. (laughs) So on Wednesday, OpenAI said, Sam, come back, all is forgiven. We've sacked the board members. We've got a new board. Um, Willie, like, can I ask you a question? Have you ever poached MD from a competitor? <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm sure without knowing it, I have. <laughs> but I just have to add a wee caveat to what you said there. Right. Although there was no great explanation that what was leaked out was that he'd been less than honest to the board. I see, right? right? Okay. So he'd been less than... That. Right, okay. So um, I, I think that... I'm, I'm trying to think... No, I don't think I've went out to... Um No, I, I can honestly say that I've never targeted anyone. I may have put adverts out, i put the word out in the street and I've, I've managed to get someone to leave a competitor. But uh, no, I, I can't say, Tom, I've ever targeted anybody. Right, well, I had a good one when, when I was
3: running sports division and we decided we were going to go into open um, retail parks, so sports superstores. And the only other people doing it in the UK at the time were Olympus. So I remember saying to a recruiter, right, I want to speak to the chief exec and I want to speak to the operations director of Olympus out-of-town division, but I don't want them to know that I'm speaking to each of them. So I I interviewed one for dinner and one for breakfast and (coughs) they both absolutely decried the other without knowing I was going to see the other at the next meeting. And we decided to take on the operations director and it absolutely changed my thought of what we're going to do in out of town and it absolutely put in, in seed my takeover of Olympus because I thought, goodness, if that's what's happening there and it's run so badly, I'll have this guy in here and he'll guide me. And that's exactly what we did. And then we ended up taking over Olympus.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. So that bringing in that one recruit changed your whole thinking. That one person, really, and I had him for for breakfast, and Ian
3: Grabina and myself sat with him. And I had one thought about out of town. We'd been to America. We'd seen Sports Authority. So I had one idea. He he came with all the facts and figures, and I just went great. Brilliant. we we'll, Uh, better than them in half the space, you can come and do it. We didn't
2: take the boss, we took the second in command. (laughs) I'm I'm sure that sounds a wee bit like company espionage, but it wasn't, it just happened that way. (laughs) I've hidden the names to keep the... (laughs) (laughs) So we mentioned, uh, um, I want to ask this, I know that you've never got involved in Bitcoin, right? No. But the news this week, so we've got, We've got Sam (laughs) Bregman-Fried, who was seen as a poster boy heading to prison for fraud. We've got the guy from Binance, the second biggest, hiding in a territory that's got no extradition, right? right. So the whole industry at the moment has got this huge cloud hanging over it. When does the SEC, when do the authorities really step in here? Well, as I say, this is not my specialist
3: subject, um, but I think it's another case of entrepreneurial minds going so far ahead of the regulators the regulators do catch up though but they are playing catch up on cryptocurrencies in my opinion i spent a wee bit of time on it with jamie my son and we both came to the conclusion that we didn't have a clue what was going on and would stay
2: away from it have you ever dealt with it never never and, and i've got to say because of what I've read I would anytime I've been in a conversation with anyone especially younger people I've told them to stay well away from it
0: Coming next Hunter and Hockey chat to Kelly Russell CEO and founder of This Is Unfolded
2: The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions available to all public sector bodies and charities Go radio.
0: There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Callie Russell, CEO and founder of This
3: Is Unfolded.
1: Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Chance.
3: So Callie, you are a good friend of the show because you were in Willie's entrepreneurial spark in his headquarters and you've kept in touch with us both over the years. So I think our listeners this morning are going to get a real insight into your story and the wee nuggets you can give them to help them grow their businesses. So delighted to have you on, Callie.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, my first business started in Willie's office in the space that he gave to Entrepreneur Spark a long time ago now. I've got lots of really bad stories about Willie, but he's sitting across from me, so I don't think I can tell any of them at all because I don't (laughs) think I'd get out of the building at the end of it, to be honest with you. Right, Callie, I'd like to thank you for coming on, okay? (laughs) Next... (laughs) (laughs) No, thanks so much. Uh, I'm really excited to tell the story of of what we've built with Unfolded and and the journey of of the highs and lows of getting here as well, because there have been plenty of those along the way as well.
2: And I think that's why we choose you to come on, because it is a great story of the highs and lows. So let's let's go back a wee bit and tell the listeners about how it all started and and where you've got to today.
1: Yeah, so uh, when I was delightfully hosted by Willie and his, his gorgeous building around the corner, uh, I had a business called Malsy, which was a consumers in, consumer insight business where we basically made a shopping app that was basically Tinder for clothes. And we grew that to about one and a half million people using it. We generated about a billion customer opinions on products and we used that data to try to help big retailers basically not to make things that wouldn't sell. And we learned a really valuable lesson in that, which is that even if you find a problem in in those businesses, which is this huge huge amounts of waste, you might not be able to fix that problem because the people in that business don't actually want to fix that problem. It might impact the business, but the people on the shop floor, the people who are actually making the decisions, fixing that problem is kind of their job. So if you come along and try to fix it, well, maybe they don't want you to do that (laughs) because you're taking away their power or their control that that kind of came through from it. So eventually over time, we decided that we couldn't fix that. And it was a lot of time and we, we... Grew a business to, to 40 people working on that and kind of raised a lot of investment to do it. Uh, but we realized that we couldn't we couldn't win, like not over the long term. Like We, we worked with some of the biggest high street retailers in, in the world, in, in the UK at that time. And instead, uh, we had the delights of COVID, which turns out if you're selling insights to big retailers at a point where no retailers make any money or buy any stock, you do not really have a business anymore. Like that is... <laughs> that's kind of done. Uh, that kind of came through to it. So we then did uh, something a bit crazy during Lost Stock. And I think it's, uh, if I look back on it, it's probably something learned around you gents over the years, which is if you've got an idea, if you really believe in it, you just got to go and roll the dice and see what happens. So at the start of the first lockdown, uh, we saw these big retailers cancelling all of their stock orders, refusing to pay for them. And we thought, that's just that's wrong. Like you see all these garment workers and there was this article on the BBC News website which said, if COVID doesn't kill my workers, starvation will. Because big retailers cancelled their orders and refused to pay the garment factories who then couldn't pay their workers in countries like Bangladesh and India where there isn't the same sort of support network. So I had uh, gone back home before lockdown happened. So I'd gone to the, the Scottish Highlands, saw this happening and thought, kind of bugger it. Like, I think we could do something here. All of these clothes are now just sitting that had been finished for big retailers. So over the course of three weeks, uh, myself and my business partners put together this thing called Lost Stock, which was selling the clothes that had been cancelled as a mystery packet. And the idea was that everyone, if you bought one of these packets, you'd get three items that were worth double the price that you paid for them. But we would support a garment worker in Bangladesh for like a week with her and her family, using the money that you had paid for sort of thing. So like, you know, this stuff doesn't go to waste. It does some good in the world. We thought if we put this together, maybe we sell a couple of them, like top end expectations. Maybe we sell 10,000. sold 10,000 in the first four days. Wow. Uh, wow. And yeah, like, wow in some senses, truly terrifying in many other senses because <laughs> it turns out again, global logistics in the middle of the pandemic wasn't the easiest thing to kind of navigate through and in the end we actually ended up selling 125,000 of those packets yeah so we ended up well done done. yeah we ended up supporting about 113,000 people in Bangladesh for about a month each using the money that we generated from selling basically stuff that big retailers refused to pay for yeah, like we did loads of things wrong. I could talk about that for hours, and how crazy that time was, and you know it was absolutely mental. And we sold it into ten different countries around the world. That kind of came through. We'd get phone calls, and they'd be like, "Hey, do you want to go on like Drive Time New Zealand Radio to talk about this?" And we're like, "We don't ship to New Zealand," and then we'd just be like. I'll just turn on shipping to New Zealand and we'll figure it out afterwards. And then you're like, on drive time, New Zealand radio, and you'll be like, all right, yeah, this is how it works. And then you get like a thousand orders from New Zealand in the next 20 minutes. And you're like, right, okay, how do we ship to New Zealand? How do we figure it out? And stuff like that as well that that kind of came through. So, yeah. So, Callie, you were
3: doing what we coach, which is learn by doing. You just saw it. Learn
1: by by necessity.
3: (laughs) What have we got to lose here? And good on you, because, you know, um, a lot of entrepreneurs think, "You know, oh, goodness, I've got to get the last sale of my spreadsheet sorted here." And we always say, "Just try it." Mm. Have you spoke to a customer? Have you tried it? What did you learn? But you, that lesson is so well told this morning. So good on you.
2: Yeah. Can, can I ask you on that? I, I take it that all these people had been left with these garments, as you say. Yeah. Their workers maybe going to starve because of pain. So I take it that you did a lot of really good, like kind of credit agreements. Like, you know, people would get paid when you get paid or you're just trying
1: to connect them. So what, in the retail industry, what you kind of have happen is that the suppliers will produce and then basically they'll be paid on an ex-factory date and you'll get paid either seven days, 14 days, 30 days, 60, 90, whatever it is, after that leaves the factory. Because these big retailers just refuse to pay for them, like the supplier has produced, has bought the fabric, has kind of got no money and it's just abandoned. So what actually what we did, basically consumers were, buying and then we were buying stock so we weren't doing any credit agreements in reality we had the situation where you had these factories who'd been abandoned by big retailers and they had been abandoned there was one guy who had four million pounds worth of stock for one of the big high street retailers and no one wow. would answer the phone to him Wow, sort of thing, and he's like, I'm, I'm ruined. Do you know what I mean? Like, and over the space, and he refused, he refused to sell anything to me for about three weeks because he thought he was going to be saved by a retailer. And like over the three weeks, every time we would speak to him on Zoom, you'd just see him getting like paler and like thinner, and just like the stress on his face. But what we would do is we'd be like, well, we've we've sold these boxes. People have bought mystery boxes, and we're now in the market, and we'll pay you like on the day sort of thing like that as well. So we were just like, we just want to get the money straight into factory workers' hands, like outside the other side to us. So what we were doing is we'd have people in Bangladesh, people in India, who would be like, okay, this factory's agreed to sell this to us, go and check the stock, go and pick the stock up in a lorry. And then you just email us or WhatsApp us to tell us that's it there and we just pay the money because we're like, that's the right thing to do.
2: And obviously the big question is, were they, were they doing this at a loss? Was it 20 cents in the dollar or were they getting their money back?
1: We, we were like, as much as we were possible, we were but paying we, the, the price that they had agreed to the original seller. That's wow. what we were like, that's what we want to pay. We want to do the right thing that kind of comes through from this. That's fantastic. That kind of comes through. Yeah. So that took us to, to what where we are just now. And before we started this, uh, Tom and Willie said to me that I had to plug what I do now. Uh, and <laughs> I said that that wouldn't be a problem because I'll always happily plug what I do now. Uh, so now with Unfolded, we basically said at the end of that process do you know what? I can't go back and sell like insights to big retailers. I cannot try to fix their model anymore because fundamentally it's broken and it's broken in such a way that they don't care about the people across their supply chain that kind of come through to it. So we created a business called Unfolded and at Unfolded, we basically said we're going to reimagine how retail works from the very starting point. So what we do is we design clothes on the Unfolded brand. We design clothes in collaboration with our customers. So we started with like 100 women helping us design clothes. 18 months later, there's like 5,000 who help us design everything that we create. Wow. We then put together a collection, collection goes on sale. Only once the collection goes on sale do we start production. So we basically don't produce any of the waste. For a normal retail business, about 30% of what is produced is waste. So we remove the waste from it, so it's better for the planet, it's better for the kind of everyone involved. It saves a lot of money. With the money that we save, we do sustainable clothes at like very affordable prices. We also then pay garment workers in India where we produce higher wages. And we fund a charity around the factories where we work in India to teach kids to learn to read and write. Literacy rate in India is about 74% compared to 99% here. So over the last kind of 18 months, we've funded about 5,000 kids to learn to read and write through programs. So it's kind of like it's, it's a win for the planet because there's less waste. It's a win for the customer because they get a good deal. It's a win for the people involved in the process because you feed back into it.
2: So that that sounds like all the buzzwords that people are looking now for the businesses to invest in.
1: So how has that made it easier for you to get investment? Uh, investment in anything is hard, especially in consumer is hard for, for, that to, for that to kind of come through. So like we've raised now just north of two million pounds over the last kind of 18 to 24 months, which has allowed us to get to this stage. Like, could always raise, hopefully raise more to go quicker. And that's kind of like our thing. Like at the minute in time, you know, we've grown in the last three months, we've grown by like 50% on the three months previously. So it's like in that sort of really great sort of phase just now. And we've got plans to grow a lot quicker now that we've got certain things that kind of come through. Our actual vision here is not to just build one brand. Like our vision is that we've built the technology, we've built the supply chain, we've built all the things around it. We've built this concept of making clothes in this very different way and is now to open that up to p- other people, so people who have communities. So actually build, like, a, a a tall women's brand with a community of tall women who already exist to build, like, an influencer, like, a, a media brand and all these sorts of different things. So over the next kind of 18 years, like, a couple, not 18 years, don't want to do this for 18 years. That sounds like a lot of hard work, to be honest with you. <laughs> over the next couple of years is that we want to be like, we want to build 100 of these, like, hyper-ethical, good-for-the-planet, good-for-the-people-who-are-making-clothes brands by partnering with people who've got amazing communities to start off with.
3: And Kelly, can I ask, um, if someone's listening today, how do they go and
1: buy from you? How do they get to that (laughs) <laughs> just type in unfolded or this is unfolded dot com and you can go and buy some of our lovely women's clothes you, you and Willie would look great in both of the in some of the dresses <laughs> that we sell that kind of comes through or you could get your you other you said halves.
2: you were not going to tell any of the stories
1: <laughs> or you could get some of your lovely other halves some of our fantastic pyjamas which are great for Christmas as well
2: yeah
1: right and, and okay. where,
2: where is your office
1: based now? We don't have an office no. anymore. We're one of these love weird it. companies that is just entirely remote. So we were based in Edinburgh and I'm still based in Edinburgh. And I would say about 50% of our staff is based in Edinburgh now. But we hired someone the other week who's in Truro, which is, I think, as far away from Edinburgh in the UK that you can actually get, <laughs> uh, which is quite nice. And we've got people based in London and yeah, just kind of all over the place now, which is quite good. And what do you realistically
2: think the the, the potential growth of the business could be over the next five years?
1: Not 18 <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine 18 years uh, I, I think it's it's pretty substantial so we're we've the, the unfolded brand now is like millions of revenue run rate within that brand and then alongside that we're now doing two brands with one of the biggest media companies in the UK, another amazing uh, kind of community so they'll start probably in the next kind of three to six months and each of those are probably the same sort of size if not slightly bigger and then there's like a pile of other brands like other potential partners kind of behind that so Touch wood, like, you never know, like, if, you know, Tom talked about the financial model. I think the financial model has it going into the tens of millions within the next four years. But, you know, lots of things can go wrong. It might be a horrible idea once you get further into it. But fundamentally, as a starting place, like, yeah, it's, it's going in the right direction. And all the lessons and all the bruisings and all the, you know, mental kickings that I've taken all the way to get to this point, you've now taken the rough edges off what you're doing and you've got something that's like this fundamentally really works.
3: So, so Callie, just you've you've told your story, and you're a great storyteller, but you've you've told it matter of factly. Um, <laughs> how and what can our listeners? What's your lessons you've learned? Because I know you've had the ups and the downs, mm. and your resilience is terrific. Um, so, what's the key kind of lessons by doing
1: this that somebody could maybe pick up on this morning? I think there's. Lots of lessons and different points of it. I think at the start, like, as Scottish people, like, as a starting piece, I think we're really horrible at asking for help. I think we see <laughs> asking for help as a sign of weakness. And actually, I think it's it's totally different. It's a sign of strength. There's a really good Phil night. Uh, from Nike the founder of Nike they, they did like a Stanford like opening speech and he was all about basically how asking for help is such an important thing and going out from it and if I look back to it you know we're joking about these things but I've come and asked both of you for help at different points and you've both been really yep. helpful whether that's been just letting me rant on whether that's been potentially occasionally giving me a, a, a verbal kicking but you know what I mean like that's well in the good sort of sense that, that sometimes that's what you need and I think I think all of us need to open that more. Like I ask for help all the time and I think that that really helps through. And, you know, by doing that, I think you end up surrounding yourself with people who, you know, can drive you forward. And I think in the human nature, I think like 95% of people want to help. Like you just have to find yep. the right time to ask and the right way to ask is, as a starting point. We, we talk on the show
2: every week about the conveyor belt to help young, budding entrepreneurs. You're probably the best guest we could ever have on here to talk about that because you've probably been through most of it, right? So what about sharing with the listeners some of your experience going back to East Park and maybe try to get edge money or whatever you've done in, 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 in all that time?
1: Yeah, so like, I've I i I've got like many different stories of that, some of which I'm like, Willie's literally threatening to kill me over from the <laughs> other side of the room at this point in time. But I, I look back on it, and I think like that starting point of experience is all about confidence, like you've got to instill confidence in people that they can go and do this, they can kind of go through from it. And I think a really great example of that actually comes from from you and, you and Susan Willey, which was we did like, I think the first eSpark pitch night, which before Tom was involved or, or like was, was less involved and, and Ayrshire hadn't opened. And we had like an event in Glasgow in 29. And we all had to pitch and present. And it was just like a practice-y sort of thing. Like, you know, you just like, it was a bit glitz and glamour. It was a bit kind of nice and stuff. But then at the end of it, you and Susan gave, gave everyone a thousand pounds, like because you're like you know, This was just fantastic. You yeah. did a great job and everything as well. And the confidence and the kind of the, the kind of the buzz, but also the the belief that that gives people is like really powerful and if I look yeah. back to that that's a huge it's a great kickstart moment in all those yeah. sorts of different steps going past that it's like you know we, we we did win an Edge Award at a certain point but we didn't win it the first time like we didn't make it through to the to the right bit at the same sort of time but you refine it and you go again like that kind of came out from it I'm one of the <laughs> I'm one of the few people that's gone on Dragon's Den twice and got an offer twice that kind of came through <laughs> to it and then I said no both times Uh that kind of came through you. but it's, it's the same thing which is like if you, you, you got to keep trying things and like the the thing around this is like when we when we bring new people in the business we talk a lot about mistakes and like you know making decisions and we talk a lot about when if you've got a decision you think about it as is this like a business kill decision or what's the cost of making this decision and if it's a really low cost make the decision quickly and just give it a try and see what kind of plays through because You've just got to go on. And, and if it's like, if you make a mistake, most most mistakes are, are not that important. So you just shrug it off, learn, and, and then kind of go again and, and see yeah. what you get to.
2: I, I remember that night, and I remember the, the whole idea, which was really good. So this is right at the very start, Tom of eSpark. And yep. probably maybe it was about 60 small company startups in the, mm. in the first cohort. Yep. And what happened was you come up with this idea, we'd narrow that down, and it'd be seven... Businesses of which you were one, Kelly, that the people would say we want to put up to pitch as if you we were pitching in Dragons then. And uh, we, we were judging it. And, and the uh-huh. idea was the seven people who, at that time, the winner was to get a thousand pounds. The best pitch was to get a thousand pounds. And the seven people were all nervous. It was probably the first time that they'd ever ever done this. And we we pizza night and a glass of wine. Yeah. And when we listened, and we'd done this genuinely, when we listened to the seven pitches, that at the end, that we we awarded a thousand pound to everybody that had done the pitch because it was so good, and I think yeah. somebody told me a few weeks ago, five of those businesses just are still, you know, they're still out there trying hard. But I need to say this about you, right? Because I was close when you I. I never, you you kind of epitomise what every young entrepreneur would be. See, when all the knocks came, you never stopped smiling. You never stopped being upbeat. Nothing got you done nothing even when you know the, you you'd, all these alligators right, at your rear end right you, you were still saying no what we'll get by this we'll get by it and it's great to hear today I haven't seen you for a wee while I met you a few weeks ago but I had a chat with you but it was great to see you up at Glen Eagles a couple of weeks ago and see that you're still part of that and, and you're certainly still one of the successes of that whole conveyor belt.
1: Well, firstly, as I'm from the West Coast of Scotland, Willie's just been nice to me, so I feel unbelievably awkward now. Because <laughs> it's just a, a natural feeling. Uh, but it's, it's, I think it's really interesting on that is that I think that resilience, we don't teach enough into people. Like that kind of comes through. And I think... Yeah. It comes from me. It probably comes from family. That like I'm from a very resilient family. That you know, there's very little that actually takes you down. You keep going, sort of thing. I think most of the genuinely great entrepreneurs or people that you respect, like, will have had that. Like, I'm sure you and Tom have both had that. Like, yeah. you've like you've been like, I can't go on, and you're like, I have to. Like, there's no other option here. You've just got to keep going, and that's not something that everyone can do. But I think if you've got a good support network around you, whether that's from a business perspective or that's from a personal perspective, that helps you get through it. So if I look at it from that eSpark sort of experience, coming back to it, one of the things that did give me, it gave me like a great network of people that you I still speak to all the time. So like from that, I ended up sharing an office with, with Leah Hutchin from Appointed yeah. for... Up yep. until COVID, yep. like, literally, like, the, the thing that stopped us sharing an office was we're not allowed to be in an office anymore. Yep. <laughs> they kind of came through from it. But even still, like, there's, you know, James, Kev, like, Donny, those guys, like, I still see them, like, probably every, like, six to eight weeks. Brilliant. I still, you know, I'd probably speak to them on WhatsApp every single week. If you don't have that when you first start, it's a lonely place. It's yep. a difficult place. You need to build those networks. You need to build those connections because they... Can help you get through the good time, the bad times, but also you then get to celebrate the good times with them.
3: So, Callie, you've given me a great idea. I'm gonna go and see Willie and Susan for a pizza and pitch them, and hopefully they'll give me a thousand pounds. It's the only way I'll get any money out. Of it, but anyway, well, I'll,
1: I'll, I'm happy to join <laughs> Tom as well. Do you know what I mean? That kind of comes out I'll bring the dominoes, okay, or the equivalent pizza that kind of comes out from it.
3: But I think I think Willie is dead right, and that your story epitomises what's what's good and the whole system gets behind you if you're willing to engage with it and now you're giving back a bit and helping with your story to people who are listening today so good luck to you Callie, it's brilliant to hear you this morning and all the very best. Cheers gents
2: and more power your elbow
4: The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper based processes into organised digital workflows. Go.
0: There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk
4: to You Can't Afford. This is the Go Radio
2: Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Good morning to Ian LeBruce. Hello there. Good morning. Morning, Ian. Ian, thanks for you know putting your question to the board you can't afford. Would you like to tell the listeners a bit about yourself, a bit about the business? Then we can have your question.
4: Absolutely, yeah. So I'm Ian LeBruce. I'm the Marketing Director at Zopa AI. Um, Zopa are an end-to-end recruitment solution So we provide a platform for HR teams to do all elements of the hiring process from posting and sourcing jobs to video interviews um, and then the hiring and onboarding itself. And what sets us apart is the AI element. So we've worked really hard over the last five years to ensure that there's maximum objectivity in the process to remove any bias so that companies know that they're getting the absolute best candidates possible. And that's not just for the experience and the knowledge that they have, but it's also the values, the mindsets, and the passion that will best represent the company. And then companies can use AI to write the job posts, they can do video interviews through um, automations, you know, with pre-filled questions, things like that. Um, And now we use the patented AI algorithms that we've created alongside machine learning to score the candidates, present the best ones, and that obviously saves a huge amount of time to to the companies.
2: Wow. So, So, Ian, in that we believe that AI can remove unconscious bias.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. So we've, um, as I said, we've spent a long time making sure that we get that right, because that's uh, one of the key values of the business. Um, we're all about justice and fairness and making sure that candidates are getting placed into the right company for them, but also the companies are getting the best possible candidates. And as, and as good as we are as humans, we will always have some bias. So the idea is that with computers, we can kind of remove that bias um, and just ensure that everything is as best as it possibly
2: can be. That's amazing. I would. I'd love to. I'd love to try a wee trial. I'd. I'd. I'd love mm. to sit down with one of the football managers, right, yeah. and say, "Here's what you think about what happened last week," <laughs> and here's really yeah. you no, know, because <laughs> unconscious bias is prevalent when it yeah. comes to choosing your, your best eleven.
4: <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm. I'm a big sports fan actually, and
2: I was talking to
4: some of the team at Scottish Rugby uh, at an event recently. Um, because they, they are potentially going to be using some AI um, to look at um, player progress as they go through, you know, training sessions yeah. and go up through the youth academies and stuff um, so that they can try and predict. Uh, there's a bit of quantum computing comes in there as well, which I'm happy to talk about. Um, but yeah, try and predict who the best players are going to be longer term. And that's fascinating to me.
3: Yeah, so so Ian, yeah. I know I know you're supposed to be asking us questions, but can I ask you a question? <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely. So so we we talk a lot in the show about AI and how it's going mm. to change things, but you're obviously yeah. using it today. So do yeah. you think the expectation of business is running ahead of the reality, or are you saying no, Tom? We're using it; it's great, and it's 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 powering up every single month. What's your opinion?
4: Yeah, so there's been a few major leaps forward recently. Um, obviously, on one side you've got ChatGPT, which a lot of businesses are now using just to kind of remove a lot of the, the monotonous tasks and the menial work. So, yeah, um, there, there are areas, things like copywriting, you can use AI to do a massive, you know, time saving for the company. And then there are other areas like the legal sector where you will often have to read through hundreds of documents. Um, and obviously AI can do that a lot faster than a human can. So if a, if a client is paying, say, $100 an hour, um, there's a lot of value in it for them, for an AI to do something in five minutes that might take a human three hours because they're paying less money. And there will always be a human element at the end of that. You know, it's a legal requirement to sign documents as a human. But if the human element is only 10 minutes rather than three hours, that's a huge, you know, time saving and therefore a cost saving yeah. to the client. So there are industries where AI is making a massive, massive difference already. Um, right. I think it needs to be used in the correct way, though. Um, as with any emerging technology, um, you can obviously use it in a bad way as well. So yep. ensuring that yep. it's used in the correct way is, is important. There are organizations out there like AI Verify, which we were signed up to as ZOPA um, And it just ensures that the AI is being used for the right things and everything is very ethical it's getting that balance between. Ian, the, before
2: we go the... to your question I'm having a wee chuckle here mm. I'm just mm. imagining now Tom that all the big law firms that would pay all the money to come in saying oh Wally we've saved you so much money <laughs> now it's no three hours to leak those documents it's only 10 minutes mm. so this could be the Tom you remember us back this must be the end of the charging pen <laughs> well, um, I think
3: I think some things change, while I think, still think lawyers are going to charge by the hour yes, and make yeah, it
2: up. Yeah, they're going to charge you the difference for using the computer for the AI.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. Ian, what is your question?
4: Uh, okay, so the question was, AI is obviously becoming a big part of daily work and life in a lot of industries. And given how long the two of you have been in business, you've obviously seen some huge shifts in the way that we work. Um, I'm interested to know what you think will come after AI in the world, um, and if you think it's going to be a big shift, if you think it's going to be related to AI, or if you think it might be something completely different?
3: So I think I'll I'll have a wee go at this, Ian, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested in your opinion, but yeah. um, I strongly believe in human endeavour. I yeah. believe in human beings, and I believe technology can assist us and can mm. help us in many ways, I don't think the technology is going to replace us. Um, Mm. Now, you might disagree with that, but I I think this next, some people are calling it industry 4.0. Some people are calling it the next industrial revolution. Sure, you know, the pace of change in business is is the quickest it's ever been, but it's the slowest it's ever going to be. Because (laughs) because of technology, but it still needs the human interaction. It still needs Mm -hmm. face-to-face human beings changing the world and using technology as a tool to do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. what do you
4: think? Um, I absolutely agree with you on the human element. Um, I think that as people, we are phenomenal in what we can do um, and the way that our brains work. So there's definitely things that we can do as humans that computers just won't be able to replicate. Um, and I think when when we do get to the point where it can re- replicate everything a human can do, I still don't think it's going to be as good as what a human can do. Um, but on the flip side, there are areas um, where computing is phenomenal and far beyond what we are h- capable as humans. So there's been examples in the past, thinking about my own work, I've had situations where I've had an Excel document with a million pieces of information on it and using, using computers to essentially analyze that data and make predictions for me. um, that that's the kind of thing that might take me as a human five hours to go through all of the data and do, but actually the computer is able to do it in five minutes. And I think that difference, um, if you're doing something like that on a daily basis, that's obviously a huge difference uh, in the way that you work. Um, For me, I think quantum computing is fascinating. And the way that that will integrate with AI and machine learning is um, we're kind of at the bit where it's just about to leap forward, I think. Um, Right. I I guess for the listeners, the difference between computing and, and quantum computing, typical computers, like traditional computers, they work on bits, which are zeros and ones. So you've kind of got two options for each bit. A quantum computer, they use qubits, which is it's a superposition of zero and one. So it's a certain amount of zero and a certain amount of one. So it allows you to have, say, half of each, and therefore you've got another you know, another piece of information that's possible. Um, so for things like uh, route planning, for example, if you're a delivery company, you can have all of your um, deliveries in the system, and it will tell you what the optimal route is in terms of getting all those deliveries out in the fastest possible time. Um, things like supplier management or even financial portfolio management, a lot of the banks are using quantum computing now to to simulate um, lots of different opportunities and then see what is the most optimal one and then do that. So that's where computers are yeah. far beyond what we're capable of as humans. So, so yeah.
2: Ian, can I come in with my answer? So, mm. so the question yeah. is, if AI is as successful to think, what's the next big shift after that? I'm going to answer this in a way that people listening who know me will not believe what I'm going to say. (laughs) (laughs) If AI is as good as people think it is, and it seems to be demonstrating that it is, I believe that the impact that AI could have on people's normal normal working pattern could be stratospheric, the change. Mm -hmm. If AI can demonstrate that you can absolutely monitor how someone works remotely, it could be the end of the office block. And so if people could demonstrate to me that all the people who now, because of COVID, want to work a couple of days at home and whatever, and I'd like to see everyone back in the office as much as I can. But if AI can be used so you know that people are as efficient, you know, 100%, then I think the effect it could have on the property market, the commercial property market, what it does for the environment, people knowing cars every day going to work. All of these things, I, I, I think that the next big thing could be is that in the next 25 years, there could be an absolute change about how people's working day is.
3: Yeah, absolutely well, agree with that. Let's mm-hmm. hope it's for the better. Yeah. So, mm. Ian, Ian, listen, I think that's a fascinating debate today. Please mm-hmm. keep in touch with the show. Let us know how you're mm-hmm. doing, because I think the listeners got a lot out of that this morning. So good <laughs> luck to you. <laughs> And, thank um, you so much I'll yeah. be phoning my lawyer I'm just <laughs> on the
2: phone to my lawyer now, but, like, cut your bills thank you Ian thank you so much thank you and good luck thank you the Go Radio Business Show with workflow solutions helping your business with document management print and IT solutions Go